Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 11. This is our next to last episode of the calendar year 2018. Next year we'll have a, next week we will have a year in review episode. Uh, Check that out. We are thrilled to have Cast Lingo as our sponsor. They've been our sponsor for the last few weeks, um, and they'll be our sponsor for this week as well as next week through the end of the calendar year. If you are a podcaster, if you are a publisher, if you are a content marketer, if you are an author, if you are releasing content of any kind under any circumstances, you need to check out Cast Lingo. It's the easiest it's probably ever been to create an Alexa skill. You certainly don't have to know how to code. All you have to do is know how to go to the app store and download the mobile app for it. And it allows you to upload samples of your voice and allows you to upload content that will then populate an Alexa skill. It's super easy. It's gotten a lot of traction uh, since Whitlingo and uh, Dr. Ahmed Bouzid rolled this thing out a few weeks back. If you're looking to get into voice, looking to get into an Alexa skill, you don't want to learn how to code, you'd be well served to check this out. There's a link on the page for This Week in Voice. Highly encourage you to take a look between now and the end of the year. We are thrilled to have a fantastic panel today. Our first guest is Rebecca Evanho. Rebecca, say hello. Hey, thanks for having me, Bradley. Rebecca, really happy to have you join us on This Week in Voice. So... You are transitioning uh, between employers and can't exactly talk about that. Talk to, to us instead about your experience as a voice user interface designer and some of the stuff you've done over your career. Yeah, so um, for the last couple of years, I, I can say this part, I was at a great company called Mobiquity, and um, I was a voice user interface designer there, and we worked primarily on um, third-party Alexa skills, although we did some work with chatbots and we did some work with Lex as well. So, um, yeah, we worked with big clients to make really great voice experiences, mostly for Alexa. Um, So for the last couple of years, I've been in uh, Alexa land learning about the new features and um, getting, and it's been nice to see all the different changes that have have come to the Alexa platform and just keeps getting better. Excellent. Rebecca, we are thrilled that you're joining us. Thank you for setting the time aside. Our second guest is Doug Robinson, CEO of Fresh Digital Group. Doug, say hello. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Doing fine. Uh, we appreciate you joining us, Doug. Take a moment and share with us what is Fresh Digital Group and what do y'all do? Yeah, so we've been around about seven years and our initial goal was really just to create products that were relevant and cool, regardless of the digital platform. Um, we started really the mobile shop and, and built some really good stuff for you know some big guys like ESPN and NBA. And then a couple of years ago, we pivoted into voice. We could see that that would be um, an area that we wanted to play. And so to date, we've made uh, like 700 or 800 uh, voice apps on all three platforms. And we're, we're really looking to kind of change the paradigm of how the use cases are developed and attack multiple verticals um, and continue to deploy great skills. We hope. Excellent. So you've been busy in other words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've been really looking at how do we develop things for kids or uh, healthcare, elderly, you know, lots of different things. Uh, 
the, the movement of voice over all of the technologies is faster. So it really gives us an opportunity to, to kind of be a thought leader and lead uh, even how we roll out best practices. I mean, I don't think any of us want to see a, a repeat of, of online banner ads and, um, and even some of the mobile stuff that happens. So if we can play a role in, in, in really kind of helping consumers as well as clients do better, we like that. Our third guest is Wilson Standish, Director of Voice for Gimlet Media. Wilson, say hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, what a fascinating place we're at that your job title is an actual job title of a person. <laughs> Director of Voice. Share with us what you do for Gimlet Media um, and just walk us through what Gimlet Media does uh, for everybody. Sure. You know, Gimlet Media primarily is a, um, a podcast company. And so we have a bunch of shows from Reply All to Startup, which, you know, chronicles the start of our company. Um, I think when I've been working with, uh, with Gimlet for a while, I uh, used to run innovation for a couple media agencies. And, and just, we saw that there was this huge intersection of, of, you know, podcasts being on these audio um, platforms, these smart speakers, and also these new forms of entertainment that were, were coming. So, you know, we decided to, to start this role um, and focusing on helping our editorial shows figure out what their experience should be in voice, and then also working with brands uh, to develop uh, you know, skills for the platform or, or help them figure out what is the right role for them to be on, on smart speakers. That's awesome. Thank you for joining us today as well. We didn't plan it this way, but all three folks on the show today are speaking as part of the Alexa conference. The Alexa conference takes place January 15th to the 17th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, most people know Chattanooga is a beautiful place. Uh, almost no one knows it has the fastest internet in the United States. It's a very tech savvy place. Uh, we're excited to have it there. Uh, Amazon is supporting it as our number one sponsor. So if you need more information about the Alexa conference, we will include that in the show notes as well. With that, we'll get to the news. Story number one from Forbes, why Apple had no choice but to bring its music service to Amazon Alexa smart speakers. We had no sooner wrapped up last week's episode, I think it was Friday of last week, where this story hit that Apple was bringing Apple Music to Alexa devices. Definitely got a reaction. And Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about Apple's decision to do this? Um, what do you think about Amazon's decision to let them do it? Share with us your thoughts as you took a look at the article. It seems necessary that as, as all of these technologies grow, these sorts of collaborations across platforms are going to be necessary. I think when any company values the user experience, users, users need things to be seamless. They, they want... Um, their music to be playable on all the platforms they engage with. So um, this sort of thing certainly becomes more and more necessary. Um, and I think it seems to me like a really good business decision. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it's that they had no choice, but it, it kind of reminds me of when Sonos had no choice, but to start thinking about voice, right? When things start hitting your bottom line or affecting, you know, your revenue, you've got to take a serious look at it. And the reality is, you know, 60, 70% of usage on uh, these devices is for music. Um, and so it just makes sense that they want to be there. I think, what does it say? There's 50 million people that have Apple Music. 
we think there's about that many devices out there. So it makes sense. I mean, I don't think it's going to be, you know, analogous to just Amazon. I mean, it's, they're probably going to go to Google as well pretty soon. Um, but it makes sense, especially given that what Spotify and Pandora have been successful from a revenue perspective on voice devices as well, that they uh, want to play and, and play nice. Uh, you know, I, I completely agree. I think I, I, I think they didn't have a choice. I think, you know, choice always wins when it comes to the consumer. And, and they've shown this with, you know, Apple Pay and, and giving consumers the choice to, to use it how they want. And this is no different. And they just had to ask themselves, what's more important to us? Is it selling smart speakers or is it Apple Music and growing that revenue stream? And I think they made the choice that that Apple Music was more important and has a, has a larger reach opportunity. And, and I think my hope is that more of these ecosystems will begin to play with each other because I think for a long time we thought, you know, the, the cell phone and the mobile phone was going to be the center of someone's digital self. But now we're seeing that people are shifting based on their, their home smart speaker ecosystem and that uh, that is driving preference for cell phone, for, for, for laptop, for all these other pieces. And to make sure that they're part of that ecosystem, they had to, uh, they had to evolve. This is kind of an interesting continuation of the story from last year and really continuing into this year about the, the battle between Amazon and Google over YouTube on the Echo Show. To me, that was the first real sort of uh, skirmish uh, where you know two juggernauts you know were battling in terms of what functionality will be on, on what device. I look at this more from Amazon's side and say, did you really have to have Apple on your devices or could you shut them out? And I think Amazon deserves a lot of credit for not entertaining that discussion, just letting Apple come on in. I want to ask the panel as well, since here we are with an Apple story. And Wilson, I'm going to start with you and work backward uh, from Doug to Rebecca on this. With Apple's ecosystem, is Apple and the HomePod and Siri and all of that, is that anything that Gimlet Media spends a long time really thinking about? And if not, what is it going to take for Apple to be a bigger player in the voice space? I think I think we do spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, obviously, they're not the majority of, of market share for smart speakers, but for a company like us where where audio first is our approach to uh, to voice and thinking about how do we make sure that we're developing audio that is as detailed and as robust as what we're making for a podcast. You know, Apple is supporting that from the gate of having one of the highest quality speakers out there. So audio quality um, and aligning with them on that is something that's very important to us. And they seem to be the ones that are, are thinking about audio quality more than the other providers. So that I think they have a chance to win if they can if they can catch up from a software standpoint and um, and you know and a robustness in terms of letting third party developers in because right now it's much more closed than everybody else and so they're not getting the the killer app or the killer skill that's going to help drive people um, to their device versus the others so it's something we think about um, because they align with a lot of our values when it comes to audio. But I think the challenge is is just market share and 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 making sure that we're focusing our efforts on where people are and just not a ton of people are on the device yet. But 
but we think that that will grow with time as their software uh, catches up to Google and, and Amazon. For me, it's just not something that we're really thinking about that much, right? Based on what um, you know, you just said around it being a closed system. That's not an area where I can affect change. So that would be great if they allowed developers to start thinking about it in a more robust manner. Uh, what would I like to see from them in 2019? I mean, I guess either opening the platform or creating a way for us to play a role in improving, um, you know, Siri overall. I mean, at the end of the day, Siri is the first came to the party and still hasn't figured out how to dance properly. Right. I mean, she dances some days it's good and some days it's not. At least, you know, with Alexa, Google Home, we all understand that those are younger, um, you know, technologies and they still have a way to, to kind of grow. But our expectations for Siri, I think, are a little bit higher and she's yet to live up to them. Yeah, I'm aligned with uh, what Wilson and Doug are saying. Um, the, the main issue seems to be that um, because Apple is closed, they're kind of missing out on opportunities to have third-party partners come in and innovate on their platform. So I think we're all waiting around for, for a chance to jump in. We're going to move on to story number two. Navigation-optimized Google Assistant rolling out in Google Maps on Android. Now, this sounds at first like it's not that big of a deal, or maybe to me it did. And then you start to dive into it and you realize, Oh, wait a minute. This is kind of, uh, this is kind of important. Doug, I'm going to start with you. What were your thoughts as you looked at this article, um, just about what Google's doing, um, with navigation and in the car here and your thoughts on Google in general? Wow. I mean, Google's doing a great job, I think of closing the gap and we know that they have access to, you know, global and more languages. So this is going to be a really great battle moving forward. Um, as, as someone who doesn't drive as a New Yorker, uh, I'm from California, I, I think that the reality is it's a reminder that perhaps we're overlooking the impact of voice in the car. Uh, you know, obviously between radio and podcasts and different things, that's another channel, right? So we're going to have, how are we using voice in our pocket and on the go in our home soon, ideally in the office, but I think what makes the vehicle the most safest because, you know, any tool that makes my life easier, reduces friction and adds value, I'm going to adopt. And when I'm driving, I really shouldn't be doing anything with my hands anyway. So the best use case overall may wind up being in the car. So I, I think it's pretty cool. We're really excited about it. I think, I mean, I think we, we started to shift how we think about what we're developing for. I mean, before, uh, Alexa Auto was announced being this, you know, $20 plug-in that can turn any car into a voice-enabled uh, smart car was very exciting for us because before we were only designing experiences for thinking about really the living room or the bathroom with our, with our skilled chompers and, and brushing your teeth. But now with all this movement towards the car, we have a whole new plethora of experiences to design for. And I, I really believe that, that the, um, the car experience will win in voice and be the dominant use case, given that your hands are tied up, your eyes are hopefully tied up, and that um, it presents a ton of value that, you know, in certain scenarios, if you're in your living room, your, your desktop or your mobile or your tablet is still the easier experience for searching a lot of things or, or finding information that has a lot of digging to do. But 
all of a sudden when you're driving, voice is going to win time and time again. And I can really see that being one of the dominant use cases. So for uh, Amazon to put a stake in the ground with uh, Alexa Auto and now to hear that Google's focusing more on the car, I think it just it creates so many more scenarios for us to design for. The consumer is going to see a ton more value in that experience. And, and it allows us to think about uh, context, and especially with, with this, uh, you know, the location data and voice, the context of your location changes our ability to serve better experiences, better results. So um, bringing all those pieces together, we're really excited about it. We're really bullish on, you know, designing experiences for the car. And, and I think that's going to be a really big adoption helper for people in voice overall, because they're going to see the immense value in it. Yeah, um, I think that Doug and Wilson are bringing up some great points, especially about um, what Wilson was just talking about, where we need to start thinking about um, how users are interacting with voice experiences, not just in their homes, but in in the world at large, um, whether they're speaking into their phone or whether they're um, in in their car. I totally agree that uh, using your voice in a car is such a great use case because your eyes do need to be occupied. The thing that strikes me about this particular case study um, is that it's a good opportunity for for designers and developers to think about safety, right? Um, you need to think about how you're making the world more convenient for your users, but you also need to think about how your designs might potentially cause harm. And obviously, when we're talking about uh, distracting someone when they're driving, um, safety is kind of at the forefront of that experience. So... Um, I think this is a great case to for designers and companies to start asking that safety question. Excellent. And shameless plug here, uh, the opportune time to remind people the Voice of the Car Summit will take place Tuesday, April the 9th, out in Mountain View, California. We're excited about that event. Uh, Katie McMahon of Soundtown will keynote that. I am intrigued by this. And Wilson, I, I have to admit, the comment about how the car will emerge as the number one use case for voice, that, that's interesting. I could easily see it swinging that way, um, but uh, it's the first time I've heard someone articulate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I was using uh I used to have a Ford car when before I lived in New York and and drove a car also, but um and and used the the sync with it all the time and you know that that technology was so basic, but it it helped me safely do so many things uh to Rebecca's point and and I think there was so much value that I saw that I even muscled through like how bad the voice recognition could really be. Or if you had a friend's name that was, you know, spelled uh, a little bit differently in your phone. But yeah, I think we we're thinking heavily about what, what's the value we can bring to the car. Is it entertaining kids as you're driving them to, uh, to school or to practice, or is it an opportunity to, uh, to learn something and, and do trivia or whatever it may be. So we're really excited about it. And I think the more um, data we can get to inform the experience based on location creates a whole new opportunity for not only just value, but then also what kind of 
what kind of content from an editorial standpoint can we create around soundscaping around, you know, I can imagine uh, you're touring a national park and hearing you're basically going through like a museum tour of a national park because it's a voice enabled and understands your location. So we think that there's just going to be so much creativity that explodes out of this opportunity. And we're excited to see not only what, you know, the creative minds in our office can think of, but the greater community, because I think, I think people are still waiting for that killer skill, that killer app to, to help them see what else they can do beyond weather, beyond music and, and timers. And so um, I, we're excited about what this could mean for just greater adoption. And it's got to work flawlessly. You know, you're right, Rebecca, about safety. If this thing does not work, if it says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand you, when you're, if you're asking for something basic, then what are you going to do? You're going to get your phone out or you're going to look down at the dash or you're going to, you know, your, uh, your attention's going to be compromised uh, in a way that could lead to uh, getting in an accident. So this, this thing definitely needs to work. Look, we're on the cusp of kind of a new area to kind of interact with the world around us, right? Whether that's the home and the car and, and you know, maybe it's going to be a world with a lot fewer screens and keyboards, but, you know, it should be more uh, invisible and, and kind of participatory, right? So if we can kind of create, you know, ideas or move the needle or, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier about use cases, I mean, we are looking for the killer app per se. So we're even right now developing these use cases um, that are going to make sense in every um, different scenario. And so that even offers us from a creative perspective and a utility perspective to really push these platforms forward um, and kind of create, hopefully, uh, multi-destination opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think to to sum up what we're all saying, this is one of the most exciting uses for voice, but it's also the one that requires the most care and careful design. With that, we will move on to story number three. This is our VoiceBot.ai story of the week, VoiceBot.ai, giving voice to a revolution. Fantastic news and commentary site. I say it every week. If you don't know what this website is, pause the podcast and go find out. Amazon more than doubles audio clip limit for developers, opening up new use cases. This is pretty awesome. And Wilson, I'm going to start with you and then Rebecca and then Doug. Wilson, from your standpoint, as you look at this uh, new development from Amazon, share with us your thoughts uh, just in general, as well as how Gimlet might take advantage of it. Yeah. So, you know, we were actually uh, a beta tester of this and implemented the the four-minute opportunity for our skill called Finding Dolores, which is it's an extension of a fiction podcast that we had called The Horror of Dolores Roach. And so when the podcast ends, the skill begins and it gives the user an opportunity to kind of navigate the world and, and see if they can avoid death and find Dolores and then even have a chance to talk to Dolores, the main character. And, you know, for our writer and for our sound designers, working within that 90-second constraint was extremely challenging because it, it, it limited so many things we could do from a story writing standpoint and a user journey standpoint. So we got access to the beta and we used it. And it, it, and I think what we were just thinking about is about at first was what we could achieve from a story standpoint. But I think what we failed to realize a bit was is a user, you know, this was a choose your own adventure type game. And is the user going to stay 
mentally focused for an entire four minutes to make a decision, a thoughtful decision at the end of that four minutes. And I think while for that experience, four minutes was almost too long to have these interactive flows, I think it, it, you know, there's a plethora of ways that it can be used creatively that gives it tons of advantage to think about, okay, you can play a song or you could, um, and then ha- give choice after that. So I think, you know, there, there are going to be examples where this is exciting. And I think anything that gives developers more opportunities to think creativity, that's great. But I think one of the things that we're still trying to figure out as an entire industry, like how long is someone going to st- sit and just stare at a, at a speaker and make a decision and be active in that experience. And so that's one of the things we're trying to, to work on and figure out what that optimal one is. We have some things coming where we're, we're cutting it way back. But I think um, the creativity to this is amazing and it gives people just more options. But I think we need to think about the user experience and is someone really going to be active for four whole minutes um, in front of their speaker? And, and that's where I think we, we need to, to get more information and, and think about the human that's sitting in front of the speaker and making decisions. Yeah, I'm very excited about this, uh, this feature, actually, because in the last couple of years, um, we have, when we were designing different skills, we have run into this being an issue. And to me, the lead is buried a little bit. Um, it's not just that uh, you can now have an audio clip of 240 seconds instead of 90. It's that um, before, if you wanted an audio clip longer than 90 seconds, your skill would have to move into audio player mode and it would actually leave your third-party skill. And so for the user to get back into the skill, they would have to use an invocation name. So they would have to say, um, you know, Alexa, ask my skill to go back to the, to the second story or whatever the task was. Um, and that was really tricky for users, uh, move, not knowing that once the audio clip was over, they had actually exited the third party skill and they would have to reinvoke it to get back to it. Um, that introduced a lot of uh, friction and frustration on the user's behalf. So um, so in the past, anytime you needed an audio clip longer than 90 seconds, you had to exit the skill and it caused all this confusion. Um, being able to use these longer audio clips and stay within the skill uh, makes things much more frictionless for users. Uh, I definitely agree with, with Wilson's point that one should choose carefully the moments when you do need an audio clip longer than 90 seconds um, because it's not always uh, the best user experience, but having the ability to use these longer clips, I think resolves a lot of problems that I've seen as a, as a skill practitioner in the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, I mean, could Rebecca have said it any better? I mean, come on, that was, you don't need anything for me. Um, you know, sometimes it's like the article said, brevity is often your friend we like the opportunity to have the expansion of uh, the dialogue limits and it definitely makes it a lot easier for the end user since we're still trying to educate them. But um, like Wilson said, sometimes it's good to use it. Sometimes it's not. Um, I think it's really about understanding that uh, particular idea or use case and then uh, leveraging it from there. But of course it's fantastic. The article asks a question at the end, how long should a voice interaction be? That's such an interesting question. We just got done talking about the car where I think it's arguable. And in fact, you know, it's probably 
where most people sort of mentally end up, the voice interaction is the whole time you're in the car. It's the whole commute, the whole thing. In the home, is it realistic to think that we're moving toward a world where your whole time in your house, you are having a running conversation with a voice assistant to do this, that, or the other thing, you know, have music playing and um, adding stuff to to to-do lists or making calls or receiving information or, uh, you know, how, how should we think about how long a voice interaction should be in the home? Any thoughts on that? I mean, I'm just thinking that, you know, it's not about thinking omni-channel. It's almost like think omnipresent, right? I mean, if voice interactions are going to replace many of the activities that people are conducting on screens, then regardless of where that is, the links are going to be different. So you're saying the car could be an hour, the bathroom could be 30 seconds, the kitchen could be 10 minutes. I mean, it, it really does vary, I think, in that moment of, of what you're trying to do. Um, so I don't know if we can just put a limit on, uh, you know, oh, we're in the home, so I guess it should be, you know, 120 seconds or something. Um, that may, we may get there. But then if I'm looking at buying a plane ticket, I kind of want to hear all my options, right? If I'm looking to help, uh, you know, little Joey with homework, I'm looking to really probably have quick answers. So again, I think the category, the graphic, the use case, all those things matter as we look to determine what that number should be. Story number four, experts warn AI could hardwire sexism into our future. This is an interesting one. We always try to end this week in voice with uh, with something that gets you thinking, uh, either something bizarre or, in this case, something that is more philosophical. And, Rebecca, I want to start with you. What, what are your thoughts as you read this? Um, share with us your perspective. Yeah, I'm really glad that we're discussing this article and um, – we see a lot more articles about these topics, sort of the role of gender in in voice experiences and in design. We see it cropping up more and more often. And I think it's a really important thing to talk about. Um, I hope that when people read this article, um, they feel a little shocked that like, the unfortunate fact is um, sexual harassment is so common in our culture that if a, a pretend female, a virtual female, you know, presents as female, men will sexually harass her. That's always a little, that's always a little shocking to me. Like if something is even a little bit female, men will begin to sexually harass it, um, which I hope is upsetting, you know, to, to everyone who considers that fact. Um, this particular article, um, I like that it offers a solution and the solution that it, that it presents is, Um, bringing more women into tech spaces to sort of um, spearhead these conversations. And the only thing that I would add to that is it's not just the labor of of women um, to have these conversations. I I always appreciate when I see men uh, taking place in these conversations and starting to ask questions like, okay, is there something sexist in the, in this approach that we're taking? Do we need to have gender in our virtual assistant? Um, can we have a genderless virtual assistant? Um, when men start also joining in this conversation and, and um, helping women 
get get the word out that these are important things to consider, I think that's when things really start to become more equal and when when everybody's working in the same direction to eliminate sexism in tech. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm definitely you know agreeing with what Rebecca says, but I mean, would that be so bad on some level if 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 we're run by women telling us what to do? I mean, at the end of the day, that's probably where we're all going to be better off anyway. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of like the idea that, I, I mean, not to, you know, I'm kind of stuck on this whole, the pretty please stuff from Google. And now I think that impacts children's ability to ideally have some respect for devices and, um, and start living manners and things like that. So are we better off that they are all women? And as we try to create this next group of young adults, they, they're just a little more respectful in general. I mean, is that possible? I mean, I think we do have to kind of think about it on on a, di- a couple different lanes. Um, but I, I, I like I like it. I think it's I think it's cool. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't Doug, I, <laughs> I I do appreciate the perspective. I mean, what you're saying is like women are awesome and often totally. pleasant pleasant to interact with, right? <laughs> and I, I think the question the, the question is I I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, I think that it's important to ask the question, why is our culture more comfortable with um, female subservience in these bots, right? Like sometimes Alexa tells you what to do, but most of the time you're telling your virtual assistants what to do. Um, So so it is an interesting question. I I think not all virtual characters need to have gender. Um, Like a a great example is, um, I think it's Capital One's chatbot Eno explicitly has no gender. Um, And and there was a really great talk at this summer's Voice Summit in Newark, New Jersey by by one of the women who spearheaded creating that. She discussed why it was important to them the bot had no gender. So I, I think the most important takeaway is that we don't default to female and that we ask ourselves, you know, okay, do, does it, does this bot need gender? Does this voice experience need gender, or can it be neutral in some way? You know, I think you know. I, I agree with what we're saying. I think I, I would love to see if we could, you know, to try to combat some of the things that people are saying to these devices with the same of like what Google's trying to do with saying please and thank you to reinforce that that habit of of what if you know if you speak to the device in um, a derogatory manner, you don't you don't receive anything. And I think there could be steps taken on the platform to do things like that. But I, I do, I love the thought of like, well, how do, why, why do these devices have to have gender and, and really analyzing that and testing it and figuring out what it is. I think the thing that I would build on what's, what's already been said is I don't think it's only the responsibility of uh, the platforms. I think us as third party developers, we, we have responsibilities as well. And, and I think, you know, one thing that, we look at from our reporting shows are making sure that we are having um, uh, genders and race and and sexual orientation all represented in the experts that we're interviewing for different shows. And we're trying to take that same approach to, you know, we, we, everything we develop is uh, using actors or actresses and making sure that uh, we are extremely inclusive in, in the voices and then in the way that we're talking to the users. So I think, that there, um, there's an opportunity for uh, developers to also kind of set the pace and, and set the norms that they, we want to see in this space and not just wait for 
you know, these behemoths of Google and Amazon to, to figure it out because it takes so much more time and effort for them to steer the ship. But we can start saying, hey, we're going to create best-in-class um, experiences that, um, that rethink about these gender norms or the role of gender in what we're building. And I think, I think a bit of the, the onus is on us as well. Rebecca, I want to ask you something about this article. So, and you touched, because you touched on it in, in what you were saying uh, toward the end where it talks about the solution. And the closing sentence of this article, I'm going to read it verbatim. One can't help but think what Alexa would have sounded like or what it would have been named if more women had had a hand in creating its technology. My question on that is, isn't it true that uh, and I don't know the exact percentage breakdowns, but there's been a lot of articles about how Amazon has employed a lot of women dating back two or three years ago, or even maybe even further, who were uh, responsible for uh, a lot of things related to Alexa. Um, so I think there's some sort of disconnect in my mind. I, I always thought that women were leading the way within Amazon to create Alexa. And, you know, according to this article, uh, which I think, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, like I said, how many men versus women there are, but do you agree with that, that if more women had been at Amazon, that Alexa would have been shaped differently? Or do you think that, um, uh, Alexa, um, is the way she is, um, due to other factors outside of the control of the women who are actually there working on it. What am I missing something? There are a lot of women working on Alexa. Am I right? Yeah. I had the same thought as you were reading that. So I don't know, um, you know, the specifics of, you know, the gender breakdown of who was working on it. But my impression is also that there were and are lots of women um, in design roles and leadership roles working on Alexa stuff. Um, so I don't know if the author, it seems like the author is just hypothesizing, you know, sort of posing a question for us to consider. Um, your larger question is, uh, I mean, if the author's hypothesis is when you involve more women, we, we're better able to eliminate gender bias. Um, I, I think that sentiment holds true. Like, um, I don't know specifically what... Um, the decisions behind making Alexa female are. Um, and it would be interesting to see if we could actually find other articles um, about, about why these decisions are made. Cause I'm sure there are. Reasons. Amazon's commented on that actually before. Mm -hmm. um, and what they have said is that um, it's just purely a function. And I'm paraphrasing here, obviously it's just purely a function of user testing they tested uh, male voices, they tested gender neutral voices or genderless voices, and then they tested female voices. And across whatever their testing was composed of uh, and whatever it was they were measuring, um, female voices performed better and that's why they went that direction. Yeah, I think um, that, was, that was my suspicion was that like user testing bears out that, to get back to what we we're saying in the beginning, people are more comfortable um, in our culture, uh, giving commands to women, like that's sort of the, the idea. And so it's a little bit tricky because you do want your users to be comfortable, but if those user bases, like if your user base carries with them, 
um, some gender biases, then uh, your user testing is going to just sort of support that bias. Um, and I think it's important for companies to figure out ways to maybe challenge and, and push back on that a little bit. Um, it, it, could, it could be that if there are more gender neutral um, chatbots and virtual assistants in the world, people do become more comfortable uh, with this genderless concept. So, um, and I'm, I'm not opposed to, to a virtual assistant having a gender. I just think, like I was saying earlier, we have to really consider and, and unpack our assumptions and why, why a certain gender is good for a certain role. I think it's a great aspect of what's been going on with voice <clears throat> that there have been so many articles, not exactly like this one here, but ones that raise these different issues. And it's been something that's been constantly talked about um, uh, alongside all the growth of voice technology, voice first technology, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's been this steady drumbeat of, we got to be thinking about, we got to be thinking about this. We got to be thinking about that. We got to be thinking about these uh, different uh, socially minded concerns. And I think that there's nothing but positive stuff to come out of that. And Doug, to go back to something that you said earlier, you know, about uh, it would be great for, uh, you know, women to, to rule the world or however you phrase that. I just, uh, Hey, I, I've, I've been married for 13 years. I've had a woman telling me what to do for, for a long time. You know, Alexa tell him, you know, uh, Alexa and, and voice assistants, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm well positioned to uh, have a conversation on that because a woman rules rules my you know household already. So I I, I took that to heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I you know I, I don't know if men can function very well at all without women telling them what to do in the future. Anyway, I mean it seems to work very well for Scandinavia, so I don't see why we shouldn't extend that to more corners of the planet. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would jump in and say that I think the point is that women uh, are tired of doing the labor of men. Um, and so if y'all would sort of take care of your own selves a little bit, I mean, you know, I'm not saying like you. We're, we're all, you know, listen, like, we are pathetic. We're, we're, we're all we're, trying we're, to your own body. We can't trying, do any better than we're steps. doing. We're, try, we're trying as hard as we can. All right. We're just, we're just the sub, you know, we're, we're, we're just the, you know, the, the worst species. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So, you know, we're, we're doing what we can and we're falling short consistently, but know that we're trying. I have a little, I have, I have faith in men. Um, and, and I would, I would say that the, the fascinating thing about, about where we're sitting and having this conversation, we're, this is a tech podcast and yet we're sitting here talking about sort of humanities issues. And I think that um, this fascinating intersection is happening where as our technology becomes more human, we inherently have to start asking ourselves, well, what is it to be human? Is it, is it good to be human? What are the bad things about us that are starting to get reflected back to us? Um, and it's like this, I'm getting a little philosophical here, but it's an amazing opportunity for our culture to really examine ourselves and improve. So I feel excited by these kinds of conversations. Well, it's exactly like Brian Romley says, you know, he, uh, he always talks about how when we're born, all we have is our mother's voice. And then we develop an inner voice. So it stands to reason that as technology evolves over time, that it will approach being voice first. And I think that to your point, Rebecca, um, as we see the evolution of voice technology and the growth of it um, and the pushing of boundaries and all the investment into it, 
that really what we end up with is a mirror held back at ourselves and, you know, us having to have some difficult conversations about what is it we're really trying to achieve here and what is it that this technology really needs to look like and what values does it need to have uh, baked into it. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Wilson, any closing thoughts on that? I think, you know, just something to add, I think there's an example of where these voices, you know, has, uh, has kind of been a very positive thing is if you look at, uh, if you look at ways, you know, and where people have tons of options of what the voice is, uh, that they, uh, they want to hear, give them directions. And, and it can take so many different roles, whether it be Mr. T telling you to turn right or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think, um, that's an example we can look at too. Again, kind of going back to where we first started about choice and giving people more choices. That's not just one male, one female or a British voice or an American voice, but how can we have some fun with it as well? And I think some of those, uh, and and I think looking at ways and what they've done with the voice there and giving people tons of options, uh, could be somewhat of a guiding light of of where we can go and, and learn from, you know, a company that is very ingrained in, in back and forth with the user. Rebecca, Doug, Wilson, thank you very, very much for being part of This Week in Voice today, sharing not just your time, but your experience and your expertise with the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Our pleasure. For This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 11, thank you for listening, and until next time.